Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. And, and we have kind of a unique time planned in the Word right now because we don't have uh, a monitor up here. Uh, we're not going to have any PowerPoint. Uh, we don't have an outline in the bulletin because you don't have a bulletin. <laughs> And uh, it's going to be a very, very simple uh, Sunday, if you will, just you and me uh, worshiping the Lord on Christmas Day, which we are doing right now, and then wrapping up this series that we've been in called Christmas in One Verse. And I, and I really don't think you're going to be disappointed. I, I, I believe that our time in the Word right now is going to be rich, instructive, practical, and that you're going to leave here in about a half an hour being thankful, if you're not already, that you came to church on, on Christmas Day. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the birth of our, of our Savior, Jesus, your Son. And I thank you, God, that uh, this year that uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday and that we can be here together as the gathered church from our various campuses and venues, uh, worshiping you together as one body. And Lord, I thank you that there are literally hundreds of thousands of other churches, uh, many of which still have church this, this day, and that, Lord, uh, they're worshiping you as well, and we're grateful for that. And so, Father, I pray that as we open up to Luke chapter 2, verse 11, which we've been in all month, and as we wrap up, Lord, the words of the angels, the angel, that, God, you would be pleased with us, and may your word produce its fruit in our hearts and minds. Uh, that you've promised to do as we preach it rightly. And I pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So I've told you guys a bunch of times that I uh, did not grow up going to church very often. It's a huge part of my story. I wasn't really raised in a Christian church. And yet I have told you that we did go to church a couple of times every year. That's why I get the Christmas and Easter crowd because every Christmas Eve and just about every Easter, my dad would take us to church. And, and I got to tell you, as I look back on those times, I have very fond memories of them, especially Christmas Eve. I have fond memories of singing carols. I know just about all of them. I have fond memories of the Christian story from Luke chapter 2. I know it by heart. And I have very fond memories of what we did last night with candle lighting. Uh, my dad actually had a wonderful tradition in our family where we would go to the midnight uh, worship service and as the bells tolled in our little small hometown that Christmas Day was here, we'd be in church lighting that candle and my dad actually would ask one of us to, to carry that candle from church to the car, from car to our home where we would light it in our fireplace uh, and keep the flame lit all Christmas Day long. And so it was quite a tradition that my dad developed for our family. And these are all things that I partook of every Christmas season growing up, and they are memorable to me. And when we do them even now, they tend to bring back warm and fond feelings from my childhood. And yet what also blows me away as I audit those days from a distance is this, and this is going to lead us into our time here this morning, and that is that as I sang all the right words... Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And as I heard the proper Christmas story each year, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And as I lit the candle symbolizing Jesus as the light of the world, as we did last night, I got to tell you, what blows me away is that in the midst of all of it, good feelings and all, I totally missed growing up. 
what it was all about. I mean, think about it. I sang the right words. I heard the right story. I even lit the right candle. And yet none of it ever sank into me when I was a kid as to what this season is truly about, namely Jesus breaking into this world as God incarnate, come for me and to come for you. And so all the while that I was growing up, when December 26 would come around, I'm telling you, it was back to life as usual. Uh, nothing was really different for me except a few more presents and having to take down the tree with all the needles falling off. That was my Christmas experience after Christmas. And so that's the trend that we're trying to reverse this year at Scottsdale Bible. That for anybody within our congregation or anybody visiting our church this season or anybody that came even last night, uh, we're trying our best to hammer home for each one of us that this isn't just some nice, quaint national holiday in our country, but rather a deeply meaningful, robust, spiritual, and worshipful season where we get to focus once again on what the core of our faith is all about and that's Jesus come to earth. And that that means something and it changes everything for our very lives. And so we spent the entire month of December focusing on just one verse of the Christmas story, really the heart of it all found in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. You'll see the verse on the screen here at the bottom of our, our screen. It says, for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I put there in yellow all the different four weeks that we are focusing on. We looked at the idea of today and how relevant today still is. And then Schrader helped us understand the incarnation and what the birth of Christ was all about. Last week, we did a deep dive in this idea of Savior and what it means that he is our Savior. And today, we wrap it up with a brief look at what it means that he is Christ the Lord. And so here's the deal. If you still haven't gotten it yet... If Christmas still is somewhat bland to you, I got one more shot before December 26 comes around. And I've been praying that it might come home for you today. And so to accomplish this, we're going to take a look at that very last phrase given to us there, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Now, I got to tell you up front, maybe you've heard this phrase before, but back then when the angel uttered these words about Jesus, it was a very fascinating and revealing description of this baby being born. Obviously, it's made up of two words, of, of, of Christ and Lord. And so we're going to understand each one separately here and then put them together, and I think you're going to see them hopefully in maybe even a different light. And the first thing you need to know about these two words, Christ and Lord, now watch this, is that they are extremely common words in both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Uh, the word Christ, the Greek word Christos, appears 528 times in the New Testament alone. That's a lot of times, 528 the word Lord, which is the Greek word kurios, appears 712 times in the New Testament, and it appears 8,198 times in the Old Testament. I mean, let that sink in a minute. That's almost just shy of 10,000 occurrences in the Bible between these two words, Christ and Lord. I mean, that's a lot of times. And so let's understand each one and some of the profundity behind these words. That word Christ 
is simply a translation of the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that literally means anointed one. So you need to know, when they first called Jesus Christ, it wasn't his last name. It was a description of who he is as the anointed one. And what you need to know is that in the Old Testament, they called a lot of godly people anointed ones. Uh, this word is used in light of kings. It's used in word in light of prophets. It's used in light of priests in the Old Testament. So the word anointed one was used relatively common because it simply means somebody whose God's hand or presence or anointing is upon. That's what the word Christ means. But it's fascinating. Toward the tail end of the Old Testament, the word was used to describe a final and promised anointed one who would be unlike any of the other prophets, priests, or kings in the Old Testament, one who would be a complete and final deliverer for Israel as well as the whole world. Let me show you. Look at the book of Daniel. So one of the later books written in the Old Testament. And Daniel says this toward the tail end of his prophecy. He says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, now watch this. No one understand this. From the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, Christos in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, Christ, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now, aside from all the prophetic detail presented here, which we covered a few years ago when we did a deep dive in the book of Daniel as a church, simply notice here that an anointed one is promised to come and do things. Did you catch this? That no priest prophet or king could ever do. This anointed one would atone for wickedness and sin. He would bring in everlasting righteousness. He would put, be put to death, which the New Testament would tell us is for our sin, tied to that idea of atonement. Please see, this was a full and final deliverer of Israel and all humanity, what we would call, what the Bible would call the Messiah, the Christ. And to be sure, this is why when we get to the New Testament that this word Christ, anointed one, Messiah, explodes in its usage. And it's interesting because it's used in two very fascinating ways in the New Testament. In the Gospels, it is used with a definite article, the word the in front of it. Remember this? So like they would say, could this be the Christ? Could this be the one that Daniel promised was coming? But then you get to the epistles, and they're done saying, could this be the Christ? They actually now use that word Christ as a proper name for Jesus. So now it arguably becomes his last name. <laughs> they say this is Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who was promised to come. And so this is the one who John said would take away the sins of the world. That's what it means that he is the Christ. Now, uh, let's talk about the word Lord, then we're going to put this together. Uh, the word Lord actually is more tricky. It appears, as we saw, thousands of times in the Bible, and it literally means Lord, owner, or ruler. 
In classical Greek, it was used to describe the various gods. Think Zeus and Hermes and gods like that. But watch this. It was also used in classical Greek to describe a human lord, a human ruler. And some of you won't like this, but it was even used to describe the male head of a family, which we don't do anymore. I've tried to get Kim to do that, and she won't. And so it was used in both human contexts as well as divine contexts in classical Greek. And what you need to know is that the Old Testament also uses it this way. Again, it appears over 8,000 times, and it's used to describe God, but also humans. But what's most important to know is that in the Greek version of the Old Testament, this word is used most of the time to describe God himself. Uh, when the, the Greek translators of the Old Testament were translating the Hebrew Yahweh or Jehovah, which is the primary name for God, you know what they would translate it to? Lord, Kyrios. And so this word Lord appears so many times in the Old Testament referring to God, and the New Testament would continue this pattern. Look at Matthew 1, verse 20. It says, but after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. So, so, so the Matthew, the writer here, is saying that, that, that God is referred to as Lord. And then look at Acts, I think it's Acts, Acts 11 here, or 12, verse 11. It says, then Peter came to him himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord, referring to God, has sent an angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. And so simply see that this word Lord became synonymous in the New Testament for God himself. And then it was attached to Jesus, even to the point that Thomas would utter these very famous words. You guys remember these words. Uh, give me a click here. When Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my, say it with me, God. So all of a sudden now, this word Lord became attached to Jesus, but they attached it to Jesus not in some human way, like head of a family or a leader. No, they attached it to him in a divine way, referring to God. And so like Christ, the word Lord would actually become a proper name for God and even a proper name for Jesus. Yet its idea of being a ruler and owner would stay the same. So now we're ready to put this together. You got Christ the Lord the long-awaited Messiah and Deliverer, come to forgive us of our sin and set us free from hopelessness and death, and then Lord, the ruler and owner of all, God himself who is on the throne and in complete control. And in our time remaining, we have just a few minutes left on this Christmas day. I wanna make a couple of very important but practical observations about this phrase, Christ the Lord, that I hope you remember for the rest of your life. I only got two. Here's the first one. And that is that we need to understand with this phraseology here, Christ the Lord, that Jesus can't be the Messiah without being the Lord, and he can't be the Lord without being the Messiah. Let me repeat that. You can't have Jesus being the Messiah or the Christ without him also being the Lord, and you can't have him being the Lord without him being the Messiah. This is why in Luke's description here, he calls him Christ the Lord. Fascinating tidbit of information that you might care about, you might not. These words that I showed you earlier appear thousands of times in the Bible. Did you know that the phrase Christ the Lord only appears three times in all of the Bible? Isn't that interesting? And you gotta ask the question, why? I mean, Christ and Lord appears all the time. Even Christ and Lord in the same sentence 
appears all the time in the New Testament, like over 100 times. So why the phrase Christ the Lord only appears three times? Because they chose it very carefully and they chose it right at Jesus' birth to communicate something, and that is that he is both the long-awaited Messiah fulfilling Daniel's prophecy and the Lord God of all tied up in one man. That's what they wanted to communicate. And when you think about it, the reason that the gospel writers put these two words together like this is that Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah unless he was also Lord. I've been arguing this for years. There's some offshoots of Christianity. I won't mention who they are, but there's some offshoots of Christianity that try to argue that Jesus was our deliverer. He was our Messiah, but he wasn't really the Lord God of all. And part of my philosophical argument with that is that if God isn't the one who saves us, then what good is it? Amen? I mean, if God is not the one who comes personally into our world to help us deal with our deepest problem, our sin problem, but just sends a messenger, that kind of sullies the moment, if you ask me. I, I, I've been given a few gifts this Christmas season, and I've appreciated all of them. Uh, but two days ago, there was a knock on my door, unexpected, which always throws my world a little bit. And, and I was upstairs studying, and I went down and thought it was like the FedEx man or something, and it was the chairman of the elders. <laughs> and, and he said, hey, I just wanted to give you and Kim a, a Christmas gift. And he handed us a nice package with a nice gift in it. He said, I'm not going to stay, but I just I wanted to give it to you personally. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Do you think that meant something to me, yes or no? Yeah, it did. A dear friend, chairman of the elders, coming to my house unannounced <laughs> to give me a gift. That was very, very meaningful. You see, that's what God did for you. He came to this world as the Lord, as the Christ, to give you the greatest gift he could ever give, give to you. And he gave it to you in person, in this world, becoming one of us. And he is Christ the Lord who has delivered up your salvation. He can't be Messiah without being Lord, and he can't be Lord without being the Messiah. And once you understand this, you're ready to hear the very second practical application or implication of Jesus being Christ and Lord. And, this is the, and that is this, and that is that he is the Lord and Messiah, whether you make him this way or not, and so you might as well receive him into your heart as such. Let me repeat that. I know it's tricky, but this is very important. He is, as we've seen, the Lord and the Messiah, whether we make him this or not. So you might as well receive him as such. Now, this one is subtle, but very important. I want to explain. And, and to help me with this, I need you guys to, to raise your hand and participate with me on this. How many times have you ever heard a well-meaning Christian say that you need to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? Raise your hand if you ever heard a Christian say that. As I expected, just about every Christian has heard that before because it's a commonly used phrase. You need to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. Now, I know what people mean by this, but I'm here to tell you today that when we finally understand what Christ the Lord means, as we've looked at here today, that phrase that you need to make him your Lord and Savior can be a little bit deceiving, if not even a little bit off. Because the reality is, as we've seen, Jesus already came 
2,000 years ago as Lord and Christ. He came as the ruler of heaven and earth. Now watch this. Whether we believe it or not, whether we make him our Savior and Lord or not. That's really the point of Luke 2.11. That's what blew the shepherds out of the water. I mean, they hadn't made him Lord and Savior yet. But I'm telling you, when the angel said, who is Christ the Lord? They're going, whoa, whoa. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of saying that as a statement. <laughs> like that's true. Like that's a fact. And that's exactly the point, is that they were making it as a fact. And because of this reality that Jesus has come as Christ the Lord, it's a little bit of doublespeak for us to say we have to make him Christ and Lord, because he already is. Some of you are fighting me on this already. I can tell by the looks on your faces. I, let, me, let me just settle this biblically, because the New Testament would go on to affirm this fact uh, very strongly. Look at Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now watch this. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue and every tongue confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what this passage is saying? It's going to make some of you sweat under the collar. I can promise you right now. Sorry to do this on Christmas Day. But what this passage means is that someday, someday, every single person, every single soul that has ever lived will call Jesus Lord. They will acknowledge him as Christ and Lord. Why? Because he is. So Mick Jagger, Howard Stern, Madonna, as well as Billy Graham and Mother Teresa are all going to someday call him Lord. And yet the stark reality is, is that sadly some will do it on their way to a Christ, Christless eternity and others will do it on the way to a blissful eternity with God based on the choices they made this side of heaven. But make no mistake, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Don't miss this, gang. Because he is, whether we make him so or not. And let me give you kind of a, a silly analogy. I was trying to think, what would be like a human analogy to this? This I was trying to think this week, what would be a human analogy to this? And this is silly, but I think you'll get the point. Uh, imagine somebody who didn't vote for Donald Trump. That shouldn't be too hard. Even though he won, uh, he, there were lots of people who didn't vote for Donald Trump. And, and as you're thinking about that, imagine somebody who's not happy that Donald Trump is going to be our president. That shouldn't be too hard as well if you have friends on both sides of the aisle. And, and so imagine that you know, Trump gets in on January 20th and, and is you know, inaugurated as our next president. And then imagine one of your friends who didn't vote for Trump and didn't like the fact that Trump is president. Imagine that next April they come up to you and they say, hey, I got great news. I made Donald Trump my president today. Now, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't that be kind of a weird way of putting it? I made Donald Trump my president today. I mean, you would know what they mean. They're essentially saying that I've accepted the fact 
that Donald Trump is the president. And they might even be saying, and I've personally come to grips and now I'm okay with the fact that he is the president. But to say it, I have made Trump my president would just sound weird. Because the reality is, if you were being factual, you'd say, well, I hate to pop your bubble, but he already is the president, whether you make him so or not. Because what they really mean is that they have finally individually accepted the fact that he is president, and they finally received it personally to the point that they're willing to acknowledge it. That's what they mean by saying, I've made him my president. And I would suggest to you that the same is true with Jesus. Listen. Here's what you need to understand about the fact that when it tells us he is Christ the Lord, he is Lord and Christ, whether we make him so or not. And this is really important to realize. And when we say, I have made him my personal Lord and Savior, I know what we mean by that, but it can be misleading because, listen, what we really mean to say is this, I have personally accepted the reality that he is indeed Lord of all. And I have personally accepted the reality that he is the redeemer of my soul and i believe that would be a bit more theologically spot on because he is christ the lord and it's reality whether people accept it or not but we do have to believe it we do have to receive him as such I've quoted this verse now, I think, three or four times this month, but it's one of my favorite, John chapter 1, verse 12. I mean, this is, this is what God is asking for all of us. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Whoa. God is asking you this day to simply believe and to receive. Now watch this. What is already true, <laughs> that he is Christ the Lord that he came for you, that he's your Messiah, he's your deliverer, he is the Lord God of the universe. He's able to handle every problem you have in your life right now. He's able to help you be forgiven for every sin in your life right now. He is able to be the best friend you've ever been longing for right now in your life. My gosh, he is Christ the Lord. Of course he can do those things, but you have to believe. You might as well believe, because it's true whether you believe or not. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this amazing phrase that you've given us in history that rings true today, that indeed he is Christ the Lord. And God, what a great, day to, uh, what a great way to usher in our, our Christmas Day celebration, Lord, to realize that Jesus Christ indeed is the longing of all of our hearts, our best friend, our our greatest Savior and Deliverer, God, come into our lives. And God, I thank you that this is true de facto by what you've done in history, but that, Lord, it can be true personally for us as we believe. And so, God, may today, each one of us here, everybody watching online, may we believe and make this Christmas truly the special day that it is, a day of salvation and a day of deliverance. God, we love you. We're grateful for who you are in our lives and for the hope and joy and love that you give us in your son Christ. And it's in his name we pray and hopefully we all can say together, amen. God bless you guys. Have a very Merry Christmas.